Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. I want to talk about mirrors. Have you ever noticed that kids and grown men seem to love a mirror? If I hold my one-year-old Baker up in the mirror, you know what Baker does? He smiles and he points and he says, hey, there's another one of me here. Because kids love mirrors. And we may not want to admit it, but a lot of grown men love mirrors too. I know this because grown men will turn anything into a mirror. You'll be walking by a car with tinted windows. Just look at that reflection and be like, all right, where are we at? We good? A grown man can look in a mirror and maybe he hasn't said no to dessert in a couple years, hasn't hit the gym, receding hairline, food stuck in the teeth, and he's like, I think we still got it. I think we're good. And a woman can look in the mirror and be beautiful, attractive, and think, I could really go for some Botox or or something. Men and women, we we have this different relationship with mirrors. The thing about a mirror is a mirror usually requires a response. A mirror shows us something that we might need to change or lose, something stuck in our teeth or uh, messing with our hair, fixing our hair. And when we think about losing something, What's the, what's the worst thing you've ever lost? Have you ever lost your wallet? Have you lost your phone, lost your keys? These things that we typically need to, to go places and do things. I remember one time I was standing at airport security and I'm like, what is the holdup? This person had lost their ID and they had their yearbook out. And they had opened up their yearbook and they were using this for their form of photo identification. Like, look, this is me. This is my name. Ever lost your passport while you're traveling? When we think about losing something, we often think of it's a negative thing. It's, it's not a good thing to lose items. That's very bad. But today, this morning, we're going to talk about how it can be a good thing to lose something. In fact, there are some things that we may need to lose. And that's what Jesus is talking about in these verses in John 15. Jesus talks about a pruning a pruning season. And the reason why God wants to prune or cut back or lose something in your life is because pruning is removing what is not God's best for you so you can step into and he can replace it with something better. That's why God puts us through pruning seasons. The the problem is sometimes we keep a tight grip on things and God has to pry our fingers off of whatever we're holding on to. And sometimes we will hold on and cling to things that are not God's best for us. These things may not even be sin. They're just not God's best for us. They might have been God's best for us years ago or a season ago, but now in this season, God says, hey, there's something new that I want to do. And for you to step into the new, you're going to have to release or let go of something so that I can give you something. So your hands are open to what I have for you in this new season. So my question for you this morning as we contemplate, what do I need to lose to find is, what do you need to lose in your life? What is it that God is leading you or speaking to you or showing you? You need to lose this to to step into new life that I have for you, to step into all the, the purpose, the calling, the destiny that I have for your life. This concept of losing to gain is seen all throughout scripture. I want to show you what it looks like in Colossians 3. 
In verse 3, it says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's this picture of what baptism is. It's that we are born again, that there's a part of ourselves that we lose that dies, and Jesus brings something new into our life. So our baptism is such a powerful picture. It's almost like God wants to remind ourselves each time we see a baptism of the work that he does, that he removes the old, that there is a death and that we are born again and that we are a new creation We lose the old and we step into the new. And you know, as humans, we we need this reminder, don't we? We need to see a baptism service. We need to be reminded that the old is gone and that the new is here and that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. What do you need to lose? Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter nine. Jesus said, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. To deny yourself means you have cravings, you have appetites, you have desires, you have things that you're holding on to. But if you want to be my disciple, you need, to, you need to let go. You need to deny yourself. You need to lose something and you take up your cross. You follow me. What do you need to lose? What do you need to lose? But this is challenging, isn't it? Because we don't We don't like these type of messages because pruning can be difficult, can be painful. It can be suffering. I'm going to suggest a couple things that we may need to lose. And the first one is this. We may need to lose the pain. Number one, we may may need to lose the, the pain that we're carrying. There's a line in the song that we heard from Sam that said, you made me think that I deserved it. In the thick of my healing, you made me think that I deserved it. This is what the enemy does. The enemy is the accuser, and the enemy uses accusations and abuse to make you think that you deserve the pain that is in your life. Because you made a certain choice, that pain is now your burden, and you must carry it in perpetuity forever, and there's no hope for you to ever be free of that pain. That's what the enemy would have you believe that you deserve it, that it's your fault. Now there's no hope or moving forward. And sometimes we speak this pain over our lives and we internalize it. It becomes a label that we wear and it becomes something that we carry. And I'm certainly not trying to minimize anyone in this room, your pain and what you've been through and what happened to you. But I am saying that Jesus Christ, the living God, is bigger than your pain. He is. The power of the cross and the spirit of the living God, it's bigger, and it is big enough to heal your pain. And that's actually why Jesus went to the cross. See, we think Jesus went to the cross so that we could go to heaven, and that's true, he did, but he also went to the cross, and it says it took on our shame and our scorn, and because of his suffering, we can walk, and by his stripes we are healed. So Jesus didn't just go to the cross so you could go to heaven. He did that, but he also, so you could find freedom and healing from the pain that you've been carrying. And some of us, we've been carrying that pain for too long. And God wants you to step in a season where you're gonna find healing in a way that you never even thought was possible. But that's the power of the living God. And it's this beautiful, redemptive story that God works. You see it in other people's lives, and I want you to see it in your own life. God is painting a picture. God is telling a story, and his story is redemption. And he gets glory out of taking our shame and our pain and our mistakes and our hurts and walking into freedom, into healing. And he's the only one who can do that. Isaiah 43 says it like this. And Isaiah is writing to people that have been suffering terribly for more than seven years. And Isaiah says this, 
43.18, it says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. And this is God saying, you're going to have to move on. There's going to be a time where you will move on and you're gonna move forward. And he says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now what springs up, do you not perceive it? Do you see it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. It used to be wilderness, it used to be wasteland, and now there is the redemptive work of God in your life. We must lose the pain. Number two, we must lose the shame. We gotta lose the shame. The shame is so powerful because we've all made mistakes. Uh, when you become a Christian, when you uh, start serving on a dream team, when you become a, join the worship team, when you become a pastor, you know what still happens? You still sin. You still make mistakes. And those mistakes, well, often they hurt the people closest to us. And when you hurt the people closest to us, that's, that's, it brings the shame on our lives. And shame is the name of the game for the enemy because if the enemy cannot keep you from heaven, if you are born again and your eternal uh, destination is secure in heaven, you know what the enemy will do? He will bring shame on your shoulders to keep you from stepping into all that God has for you. And so he's gonna try and find a way to bring shame into your life. We have to lose the shame. What does shame do? It focuses on our past. It focuses on our mistakes. And we become defined by by what we did. And when we look in the mirror and that shame starts to creep in, we actually start to hate what we see. Anyone ever been there? I have. I've looked in the mirror and I've hated the reflection that I saw. There was self-hatred. There was loathing because all I saw was the hurt that I caused other people, the pain that I had caused myself and the people closest to me, and it just weighed on my shoulders. It's that shame that what you did is what you are. And it's actually compounded if you grow up in the church because if you grow up in the church, you'll start to think, I should have known better. And man, it's tough because I went to Sunday school and I went to church and I knew the Bible stories and I had good parents and they taught me wrong and right. And so now the fact that I made these same mistakes, it, well, it starts to feel even heavier and the shame starts to get you on the cycle about like, Man, I really blew it. And that's why I love, love, love this verse from Micah. This verse in Micah chapter 7, verse 19, it says this. And you might need to highlight this one. It says, once again, once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. I love those two words, once again. God is saying, Yes, you became a Christian. Yes, you started going to church. Yes, you joined the dream team. Yes, you started leading a group and you still sinned. And it's okay because once again, I'm gonna gonna forgive you. Once again, my compassion is there. See, some of you have found God's saving grace. You need to know God's sustaining grace to walk you through every season of life. Once again, that means we serve a God of second chances and 11th chances and 1,000th chances. That's exactly what that means. Once again, And what does he do with our sins? It actually paints a picture for this. He takes our sins and he throws them where? To the depths of the ocean. How deep is the ocean? So deep we can't even send anything. Another picture in scripture says, as far as the east is from the west. It's a metaphor for saying your sin is completely gone and you have a new beginning. And so the next time you start feeling that shame and the next time you you hear those accusations that, 
what you did was, was too bad. What, what you did, that's, that's who you are. You can say, I, I, I'm not that label. That, that's not me. Because of Jesus, because of his compassion, because of forgiveness, I am called, I'm forgiven, I'm chosen, I'm a child of God, and I can step into healing from shame. Pain and, and shame, they are, they, they, carry, they, they, they stop us and we carry them around and we gotta lose them. There's a difference between conviction and shame. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And these things, act, they actually feel similar in our heart. I don't believe that conviction is a feeling because conviction is a spiritual thing, but it, it can it manifest itself as a feeling. And, and conviction is clarifying. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is clarifying because it shows you a path forward to redemption. Conviction says, hey, there's, look, I know you've messed up. I, I know you're making some poor choices, but there is a path forward. There is a better way. There is hope. And conviction says, it's tough, it's challenging, but conviction feels like a breath of fresh air. It's like that fresh start, that new beginning to whatever path you're walking. Shame is not clarifying. Shame is just confusing. And it gets you stuck on this cycle that you're never gonna measure up, that you're never gonna get ahead, that it's always gonna be like this. We must lose the pain. We must lose the shame. When I was nine or 10 years old, we went on a trip uh, out of state. And while we were on this trip, um, something terrible happened to me. Uh, There was an older boy who molested me, who um, forced me to do an act. And this had a tremendous impact on my life. And one of the ways that it impacted my life was the way that I responded to that event. And the way that I responded to this, uh, um, this molestation was I decided nobody can ever know about this. This is going to be a secret that nobody can know about because I felt uh, so much shame. And so I stuffed this down deep so that it would never see the light of day. And for years, I carried the secret that no one would ever know about what happened. I'll be honest, in my instance, I did not want people to think that I was a victim because that was weak in my, my mindset. Now, I, I could tell you the details of what happened to me and everybody in this room would say, Kyle, you were clearly the victim. That should not have happened to you. But I didn't want to let myself go there. And so I taught myself that when something happens to me, or when I do something that creates this feeling of shame, my response was, I'm going to stuff this down really, really deep so it's never going to see the light of day, so that nobody is ever going to know about it. And so I carried these, one, I carried this brokenness, and I also carried these secrets. And secrets have energy. Um, Secrets have power. And I know in a room this size, I'm not the only one that went through this type of situation. And it's really, really heavy. And since I didn't talk about it for so long, um, you know, in these coming days when I knew I was going to share this, I, I really have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of anxiety about sharing it because uh, it's, it's hard to talk about. Um, 
So to lighten the mood, I want to talk about Frozen, the Disney movie, for a second. I got three girls, so I've seen Frozen probably 20, a couple dozen times. And in the movie Frozen, Elsa says, conceal, don't feel. Elsa says when you have these emotions that start to bubble up, that are a warning sign, uh, that maybe um, you should express, maybe you should verbalize. Elsa says you conceal, you don't feel. And uh, the truth is, if you conceal, you'll never be healed. It's only in um, revealing that you can start to find healing. So for decades, I, I carried around these secrets. And when you carry around this type of pain, this type of shame, you actually leak out on people unknowingly. You don't mean to. You just leak out on people that uh, have nothing to do with what you went through. Um, and it's usually the people closest to you. So through a, a, a process of uh, a lot of things, I... Um, I finally got honest with my wife, um, and I told her the story, and I told her what happened. Um, and, you know, because of, the, um, because of the love and support of Lauren, and, and ultimately because of the power, the healing power of the living God, and what Jesus accomplished on the cross, and the Holy Spirit alive and active in my life and in the world today, I'm able to talk about it. I'm able to find healing. Uh, from this. But man, it was a long road. <laughs> and it's tough. And I say this, one, 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 one reason I tell this is because um, it's, it sounds easy to say, we got to lose the pain, we got to lose the shame. I'm, I'm telling you that I've, I've walked this road. And God works a redemptive story that, that is beautiful. And I know I'm not minimizing pain and I'm not minimizing shame. I know how strong and powerful they can be, but I also know how strong and powerful the living God is, who we have a relationship with and wants you to find healing and then step into freedom. So his plan for your life, it is to, it is to lose the pain. It is to lose the shame. Number three, we gotta lose the stress. We must lose the stress because we're overwhelmed. We're frantic, we're busy. We're overwhelmed. You know, I got a fresh haircut yesterday. You know why I cut my hair like this? It's not for fashion. I cut my hair like this because I got gray that's coming in. So when I do this high fade, when I do this high skin fade, it just takes that gray out and I'm able to turn back the clock. Why do I got gray hair coming in? Because I got four kids. Because <laughs> life is hard. We're stressed. There's a line in the song that says, I gave it my all, but it wasn't enough. And that's what stress is. It's this, it's this trying, it's this hurry, it's this busy and that trying and that striving, it just brings more stress. Peter said this in 1 Peter 5, 7. Peter said, give all, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Did you notice the word all? See, what we do is we give the big stuff to God. We give the big stuff to God. But we, we keep the little stuff for ourselves. The reason why so many of us keep the little stuff for ourselves is because we... Um, Somewhere along our life, we, told, we had someone tell us, you got to go figure that out, right? Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a teacher. We have a, maybe a boss. They say, just go figure it out. And so we, we bring that into our relationship with God. And we think that, okay, I know God can handle the big stuff, but the little stuff, I got to figure that out on my own. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says bring all of it. But the reason why we're so stressed, the reason why we're so frantic, the reason why we're not experiencing the peace of God that he gives us is because we try and carry these little things God never said to his children, figure that out on your own. God never said that. 
Now, God says we do need to trust him. We do need to walk it out by faith. We're not always going to understand it, but God never says, just go figure that out on your own. We need to bring all of that to him. And when we bring all of it to God, what this promise of scripture is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will come into your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So we got to start, we, we, we can't try to put out all the little fires. We got to invite God into the situation and pray first, and then we can start to go through our daily task list. Bring all the stuff to God, the big and the small. Got to lose the stress by accepting God's peace. And then the last one, as we close, we must lose the pursuit of success. We must lose the pursuit of success. In America, we love winning. We hate losing and we love winning. Trophies, medals, undefeated, champion, American dream, success. The the song, it says, rose Colored glasses are distorted. And sometimes we have this view of success and successes. Well, this is going to bring me fulfillment. So many people, they, they're seeking affirmation. And they think, if I just reach this goal, if I just accomplish this, I will finally get the affirmation, the recognition that I deserve. And a lot of you in this room, you, um, you walked that road and you got that accomplishment. And then you realize, like, I... I don't feel any different than before I got it. And it's good to have goals. It's good to work hard. It's good to have that work ethic. But it, it, can't, be our, it can't be our main focus. God is not that interested in our success if our success is defined as the American dream. God is kind of working on a bigger picture. <laughs> His redemptive work that he's been working on for thousands of years, it kind of supersedes our personal success. And, and, and here's what I, what I want you to think about success. Um, I think that we can never really know what success is this side of eternity. Let me, um, let me put it like this. Uh, last Easter, we had our Easter services coming up. So beginning of April, I am uh, sending some invites to Easter services at Family Church. We got, we got two on Saturday. We got three services on Sunday. And so I'm, I'm sending out invites. This is actually my very first Easter ever giving a message. You know, dad had a surgery. So like, right, I know I'm preaching on Easter. This is, this is big. And so it's going to be, it's going to be great. And I send out invites to 14 people in my contacts on my phone. Of those 14 people, zero showed up on Saturday or Sunday Easter services. Now that tells me that y'all are way better at inviting to church than I am because we had 538 people. So the people came, the invites went out and the people came, but I'm sitting here thinking like, well, a lot of good that did. That was a failure. That wasn't successful. But how do we, how do we define success? What are we looking at? See, this side of eternity, we just, we just don't know. If you're holding a baby and family kids, if you're teaching a lesson in family kids, if you're greeting, if you're uh, part of the, the, the sound team, you, you don't know the impact that your serving is going to have. You don't know what that baby's going to grow up to do. If you're praying for someone, you don't know the impact your prayers are going to have in that moment. If you invite someone over for coffee or you reach out and you say, hey, let's get together. I, I, I want to I talk. You just don't know the impact that your generosity, that your care, that your prayer, that your relationship build. You just don't know the impact that it's going to have. And so it's easy for us in my own eyes. I don't see the success, but success is not what we see. This is a good definition of success. Success is being faithful and obedient to God and what he has for us today. That's the only way we can measure success is if we say, God, 
I don't see it all. You have better vision than I do, but I'm going to be obedient and faithful to what you have for me today. At the end of our life, are we going to hear, well done, good and successful servant? You accomplished a lot of things. Or do we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? You were faithful. You were faithful. You were obedient. You know, this side of heaven, it's, uh, it's so hard to have the right definition of success because we just don't see it all. Paul said it like this in Philippians 3. Paul said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I don't know why that's something to brag about, but Paul says it's impressive. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. Paul is flexing here, if you can't tell. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. That word worthless in the Greek, it's the word skubala. Will you say that? Skubala. If you just said skubala, you just said a bad word in church. And Sue Wright is up here to wash your mouth out with soap. See, this word skubala, it means animal dung. And the translators of the Bible, they said, we are not going to put that word, we're not going to put that in the Bible. We have to clean it up a little bit. And they said, we're gonna, we'll use the word garbage or rubbish. Paul said, these things that I focused on, my definition of success that I strived and strived for, that I was so focused on, it was, it was worthless. And if Paul was speaking to the American church today, we might tell Paul, like, hey, you know, look, we really love our trophies. We really love our sports teams and our hobbies. Like, you got to reel that back a little bit. It's not going to play too well with the church today. And so Paul goes in on verse 8. Paul says, yes, I agree with what I said. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as scubala so that I could gain Christ. Don't you love Paul, the boldness? He doubles down on this. Paul is not saying that your job and your sports teams and your hobbies and your vacations, he's not saying that those don't matter. He is saying that if those things become your priority, if those are more important and supersede your relationship with Christ, at that point, it is garbage. We gotta get the order right. We have to have our priorities right. And Paul's saying this, nobody knows this better than me because for decades of my life, I was focused on success, not the American dream, the Jewish dream. And guess what? I discovered, wow, I was, I was climbing the ladder and it was up against the wrong wall. Wow, I was way off. And he just wants to give the warning to you. Don't be sucked into this, this American dream with a wrong definition of success. Instead, Prioritize your relationship with God. Put him first. These, these four things that we've talked about, the success and the stress and the pride, the, the, the shame and the pain, they, they have this one thing in common, and it's, it's this word, uh, it's this, this is this word called pride. Pride. And, and I know what you're thinking, like, wait a second, you're telling me that, like, my, my pain is prideful? My sh- how, how is that the case? And, 
Pride is anything that takes your eyes off of the finished work of Christ and, and fixes your eyes on you, and you become inward focused. And when you see that word pride, what's right in the middle? It's that, it's I. So what, what's pride? It's, it's I'm overemphasizing myself, and I'm, I'm discounting, or I'm not focused enough on, on Jesus and the finished work of the cross. So arrogance is pride. Insecurity is also pride because we're focused too much on ourselves. We say things like, I deserve, or I feel, or I'm gonna try harder, or I'm gonna figure this out. These are all prideful statements because they are focused on us and our work. And if we're not careful, we'll become so focused on what we're, what we're all about that we, we miss it, that we are a vessel that is created to bring glory to God. Not to accomplish a bunch of things, whether they're good or not. We were created to bring glory to God. There's a line in this song that says, this dance is killing me softly. This dance of looking inward. Have you ever noticed like that's the message of so many Disney movies, so many songs in pop culture. It's like, look inside yourself. And if you just look deep enough within yourself, you will find the answer. The dance with pain and shame and success and stress. The world says, you got to figure this out. Be obsessed with you. Look in the mirror. Your opinions, your feelings, your thoughts, that's what it's all about. But uh, uh, I know this is going to sound like a bold, bold statement, but the, the truth is this. You plus you always equals no real lasting change. And I, I want to show it to you in Scripture. Jesus said something, and it's one of those things that Jesus said in Scripture, and it's actually really hard to understand. In fact, if you grew up in church, if you read your Bible, you've probably read this, and you're like, all right, I'm not exactly sure what Jesus is even talking about. Because what Jesus does is he peels back the curtain on the spiritual realm, the unseen realm, and he's talking about spiritual warfare. And he says this in Luke chapter 11. Jesus said, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and it finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so the person is worse off than before. I still don't get it. Jesus is painting a, per a picture of a person who's trying to change on their own. In fact, it seems like the person makes progress, don't they? An evil spirit left the person. So they made a significant step forward in an area. They said, I'm never going to look at porn again. I said, I'm going to forgive that person I've struggled to forgive. Never going to drink again. Whatever the step was, I'm breaking up with them. They took a step forward. And then it's like, oh, uh, they're coming up with this master plan to come after this person. And there's something that I want to show you in the text if, they come, if those evil spirits come back to the house and they find Jesus is the center of the house, you know what's going to happen? They're going to go right back because they have zero authority and the presence of the power of the living God. But what did they find? They come back to the house and it was, Jesus wasn't there. It was just the person. And they said, all right, we're finding all the other, we're, we're throwing the whole kitchen sink and they were worse off than before. Do you see it? But if Jesus is there, if Jesus is there, you know, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit gives us the desire to change, and it also says it gives us the power to change. 
In fact, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life is to give you might and power that you do not have on your own. And I don't know exactly what that might and power is for. For me, it was public speaking. I used to be terrified of the idea of speaking in front of people. The only reason I'm able to get up here and speak on Sunday mornings, it's not because of my gifts. It's not because of my abilities. It's not because of any talent that I have. It's because the Holy Spirit has empowered me to preach his word and to share the gospel. None of it is about my qualifications. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's done in my life. And he wants to do something in your life too. And when you invite Jesus into the equation, when Jesus enters the picture, things change. You got to lose the pain so that you can find healing. You got to lose the shame so that you can find freedom. You got to lose the stress so that you can find God's peace. And you got to lose that pursuit of success to find actual, real significance. That's God's plan for your life. And Jesus calls us to be witnesses. And Jesus, hey, in this whole life on planet Earth, like, I want you to be my witness. In other words, I want you to be the salt and the light, and I want you to show the world what I am like. So when you look in a mirror, if you're a child of God, you don't just see your reflection. What should you see? You should see the reflection of God. Because God says, I want you to go out into the world, and I want you to be salt and light. And when people see you, they see the way that you love. They see the way that you forgive. They see the way that you serve. They're going to think the best I can tell, that's got to be God, because I don't see that anywhere else. I don't see that in other people. That's what God wants you to see when you look in the mirror. The reflection of the living God. We're his messengers, we're his ambassador is to bring the world into reconciliation with him. In our story, we're never the hero, it's always Jesus. That's his redemptive work. That he takes these things like our pain and our shame and he gets glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for these minutes and moments that we share. Lord, this this message can be challenging for us. We may be holding things that are not your best. And Father, we ask that you will show us. Show us those things that we're holding on to that we need to surrender. And we choose today to trust you to remove those things. We release them to you and we trust that you will give us your best, that you will put into our lives what you have for us, that we will bear fruit and that we will bring glory to you. So, Father, today is the day of surrender. We let go of those things we're holding on to and we accept and we say yes to what you have for us. Lord, your word says that if we call on the name of the Lord, that you draw near, that if we believe in your heart, if we believe in in our heart, Lord, that, that, that Jesus is the Son of God, we will be saved. We thank you that when you that when we call on your name, that you draw near, that you bring the day of salvation, that you bring the day of surrender. And thank you for the Holy Spirit to walk out the life that you have for us. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.